chapter 11, 2 Corinthians, verses 7 through 15 and 20. If you would please follow in reading the Word of God. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need in everything, and I kept myself from being a burden to you. And will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do, so that I may cut off opportunity for those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as me, as we are in the manner about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself and is, as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Verse 20. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. Father, help us to have ears to hear and help us to not step into the deception that the Corinthians did. Help us not to be gullible and tossed to and fro with every wind that comes. Father, let us understand that this attack on this wonderful man, Paul, is no different than today. And yet, Father, um, we who are called by your name, give us strength to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But, Father, let us be discerning that, Father, we may not be led astray by accusations and false schemes and craftiness that is makes up our uh, enemies. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. We're looking at a contrast the Apostle Paul is using between true and false. And, and he uses himself as one side, and then these people who would cause this rift between the Apostle Paul and the church in Corinth. They had come in after he had labored there for two years, and they had come in behind him, and were sowing seeds of doubts and making accusations, and they were twisting things. And we'll be looking at it over the next few months, but they have a, a knack of just taking something very simplistic and twisting it in an opposite reflection, so that all of a sudden you think, well, what, well, what was it? And, and um, I would like to say that it happened in the first century church and stopped, uh, but it didn't. Not only did it not stop, it has increased. And, um, you know, when I think about it, nobody wants to be called gullible, Right? And yet, I look around today, and I do not know a time where we haven't been more gullible. Okay? And, you know, uh, because now we don't even test it. If they say something, we say amen. 
And we, we leave it at that. When I look at the mark of a true and the mark of the false, they are just opposites. A true servant of God is humble. A false servant is prideful. A true servant wields truth and stands on truth. A false servant is deceptive and uses deceitful. And, and you know, it's sometimes it's not lies, it's omission. I just don't tell you everything. Okay, we, if you've had kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. All right. And then the third contrast in this text is that the mark of a true is that one who loves and the one of a false tends to be abusive. All right. If I look at the apostle's life. okay, no matter where it was, what church it was in, what part of his ministry he was in, his life demonstrates humility. And that's what we're looking at in seven through nine. His humility. Okay, we started looking at it in verse seven, because what had would have happened is they come in. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Is what I did that's against the culture humbling of myself to lift you up, to exalt you? Is that a sin? Because that's what the culture says. And see, that's what the culture does in our time. If you have something that is of value, then you hang the value on it. And if it's of greater value, then it must be of greater worth. You think I'm kidding you. Why do we buy name brands? Why do we do that? Why? Well, it's made by such and such, so it is of greater value. No, they pay more for advertising. (laughs) <laughs> that's that's the only reason. Okay? See, and, and yet, we our society is based on that. But if you're really honest with it, go through the history of man. Isn't that the way man operates? And the same thing happens when you have, say, quote-unquote, performers. Or you have speakers come in. How much does it cost? Well, if it's costing that much, it must be of great value. All right? So you see what the Apostle Paul has done in in verse 7. He says, because I preach the gospel of God to you without charge. So what they're saying is, Paul's message can't be of much value because he didn't charge you for it. Think about that. Isn't that what philosophers do? Right? You, You think about it right now. Let me give you a perfect example. Ivy League schools. Are they that much greater of value than a state school? But why do we pay so much for it? Well, because they have to have greater something because it's costing me greater money. No, it just means you're dumber because you'll be in debt longer. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? You know, you get four years of English, all right, when you get in high school, all right, some form of English, all right, and then you got to take two years of it in college. 
I got news for you. If you ain't got to figure it out in four years, don't go to college. All right, because you're wasting your money. Well, but look where I went. So I try to get people, you know, people say, well, you know, I'm not that gullible. Yeah, you are. Absolutely. We still are. You know, I want to go to such and such school because such and such did. Well, so what? All right. Uh, Listen, I grew up that MIT was the place until I heard the economics professor. Okay, and I don't think MIT is that impressive anymore. So, when I think about humility, I think about the Apostle Paul humbling himself not to take pay from the Corinthians so that he might lift them up in the Holy Word of God. Alright? But I want to show what his mode of operation is. Verse 8. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. Okay, this is the Apostle Paul's pattern. I stepped into this just a little bit last week, and I'll probably broaden it out a little more for you. He says, I received money from established congregations, but never from the churches that was being planted. Okay, why? If I'm establishing a church, the apostles' doctrine is the foundation for the church. That's what churches were built on. You're walking around at the time of the Apostle Paul. You're going to places that Christ has never been named. And he is establishing a foundation. All right. To build off of. And he did not take money from those infant congregations. Why? They're brand new believers. He evangelized and taught them. He reached them for Christ and then discipled them. Why? He would offer the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, without charge. All right? Let me show you why. You have to go back a little ways. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 18. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use as my right in the gospel. All right. He's already said that there are those who make their living on the gospel. All right. The gospel is how they have their wages. And he says, I did not use that privilege among the Corinthians. Why? It's an infant church. It's an infant church. How do I, you know, I'm not going to start a church that Christ has never been named and say, I'll tell you the secrets after I explain to you what the offering is. Right? Now, I know some churches in Colorado right now who do do that. The first thing that comes out of their mouth is how much you need to be giving and why. All right. He says here, and he uses some strange wording. Verse eight, I robbed other churches. 
Okay, listen, that is, when I first looked at this, I thought, I've got to be looking this up wrong. So I went to like three or four different Greek dictionaries, and they were all the same. And I was like, wow. It, it is used as a, in a military context. This word robbed. Okay, and it literally means to plunder or pillage. I plundered and pillaged other churches. Okay, if you go to classical Greek, uh, the historical Greek language, like for secular writing, it was used of stripping the armor off of a dead soldier. Okay, and that's the term that Paul uses here. You're like, what's he mad? What did something, something happen? You know, I stole the armor off the Thessalonians and then I pillaged the Philippians. Okay, that's you just sort of like, oh, Paul, you got a burr or something here. The context is for when the brethren came down from Macedonia. Okay, so I know who the it is. He's speaking of the Bereans, Thessalonians, and the Philippians. That's the brethren who would have come down from Macedonia. All right, so so I know who they are, um, and uh, he's already told us they were dirt poor. They were. Abundant in their poverty. Interesting way of stating that. Okay. And they had sent him gifts to support his work, which made them poorer. Remember, they had taken up a special offering for the church in Jerusalem. But they were also sending money to the Apostle Paul for his work in Corinth, which would make them Poor. Well, they're already abundant in their poverty. And now they're giving money to the Jerusalem church. And now they're giving money to support the Apostle Paul's work in the city in Corinth. And in Paul's mind, he was plundering their poverty. Okay? That's his thinking here. They gave him generously to further impoverish themselves. Specifically the Macedonians. If you back up, let me show you. Chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which is given in the churches of Macedonia, that in great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. We looked at that in depth. They were known for their deep poverty. The churches in Thessalonica. Look at verse or, uh, in uh, Macedonia. Look at verse three. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Beyond their ability, it overflowed. Out of their poverty, it overflowed abundantly. And we know that. The Thessalonians would have been a part of that. We've been looking at sanctification and we looked at the first three chapters of First Thessalonians. And that is an amazing church. And yet in chapter four, he says, I want you to excel still more. And he says it three times. If he says something, I want you to excel three 
more three times than he does it in seven verses. You should be paying attention. And yet you back up and you read the first three chapters and you go, what a church. Now you've got to understand something. The first two letters of the New Testament were written to who? First and second Thessalonians. And he was in Corinth when he wrote them. All right. We know that the heart of the Thessalonians, but I want to show you something else about the heart of the church in Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 10. Chapter 4 of Philippians, beginning at verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, You were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Okay, what what, what do you mean you were concerned and lacked opportunity? Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance... I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering needs. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my afflictions. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that in the first preaching of the Gospels, after I left Macedonia, no church served shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. You get that? Paul had gone to Philippians, Philippi first, established a church there. He moved on to Thessalonica to establish a church. And guess what? He didn't take any money from the Thessalonians. Why? The Philippians were helping him. Not that I seek a gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Verse 18. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing To God. Get that? You know what's amazing about that? You know when this letter was written? Ten years after the Corinthian letters. He's imprisoned in Rome. And they're sending him gifts still. That's stunning. Because usually we get, you know, we help them for three months. Hallelujah. Right? Ten years later, they find out he's imprisoned in Rome and they send one of their own, Epaphroditus, with a gift for him in prison. They sent him this and they were so gracious Every time. And they had been sending gifts. It was the Macedonians who sent a gift to him when he was in Corinth. Back to 
Corinthians 11, verse 8. Look what he says. I pillage from the other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. The word wages there is uh, astonishing. It literally means sustenance. It was used in secular Greek to speak of paying soldiers their rations. I got my rations from them in Macedonia to serve you here in Corinth. Listen, this is a humble man. This is a selfless man. He didn't take anything from the Corinthians. He didn't originally take anything from the Thessalonians. See, it's astonishing to me because when he left Berea, he got run out of Thessalonica. They threatened to kill one of the Christians, and so he left. He goes to Berea, 50 miles away. The Jews in Thessalonica find out, and they come and they run him out of Berea. He goes south to Athens. And of course, Athens is so smart that it's in ruins. No, they don't receive the gospel. So he goes west of Athens over across the Isthmus where is Corinth. And he establishes the church in Corinth. But he's still concerned about the Thessalonians. And he sends Titus and Timothy back to find out what's up. They come back to him to give him a report. Okay, and that's when he writes First Thessalonians. All right. But if you read it, he says the brethren came from where? Macedonia. If you go to look at Acts 18, you find out who the brethren are who were sent from the Macedonian churches. Titus and Timothy, they came back not knowing Paul was in need. And yet. They gave enough. They had enough with them that Paul could give himself wholly to the ministering of the word. He didn't have to work with the leather anymore. Go read it. Acts 18. It'll freak you out. It is astonishing. Titus and Timothy came back with such a massive gift that Paul could give himself fully and wholly to serving the word of God. From a poor church, overflowing in poverty. Paul had given up everything. To work with his own hands, he did it sacrificially. And other churches became impoverished to help him. You know what? Paul says, look. There are no grounds whatsoever to have my motives challenged. Listen, you know what is amazing about the Apostle Paul? He has many things that amaze me. But one of the things that amazes me the most is that greed had absolute no power over that man. That's not like a false. The untrue. The phonies. Their giving of these established churches, their giving, helped him to serve the Corinthians. And the Corinthians were um, wealthy. 
But you know what? Paul could state it out here and say, there's absolutely no opportunity for an accuser to say, I'm doing this for the money. To not make the gospel chargeable, therefore I would not hinder people in believing. Listen, let me tell you how easy this is. We have a common teaching that goes on in the church today. And, and I run into it, I've run into it in England, uh, I've run into it in Russia, in the Ukraine, I, I've run into it, uh, it's all over the place in the United States. And, and I, and I, it's, uh, I, I don't know if it's that part of it being gullible or whatever you want to call it. And, and listen, I know that right now there is a plethora of men who are in it for the money. Okay, I know that emphatically. All right. Uh, and uh, I don't have time to even begin to start naming them. We would be here indefinitely. Okay, because uh, they're in it for filthy lucre. Okay. But I have watched over and over how easy it is. And I'll give you a, a very simple illustration of this. Ask a Christian. Who Jesus Christ is. What will they say? Savior. God's son. Savior. Okay. You know what the normal teaching is? That Jesus Christ at a point in your life. Became. Your savior. Okay. We would all agree. Right. That's true. Some point in your life, he became your savior. Now, we can get into it and say, well, an eternity passes when he did it. And I just happen to walk into it or whatever you want to do. But it's all right. But you know what I run into later? That somewhere in your saved life, you will have the lights turned on and make him Lord. And we all smile and say, Amen. And you know what? That's a lie from Satan. In eternity past, he is Lord. You do not make him Lord. He was Lord before he flung the stars into the heavens. Right? But we buy that because, well, you know, I really struggled early in my walk with Jesus and da 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 No, he's still Lord. You just need to be thankful he didn't come down and prove it. All right? And yet, we buy that. And if you think about it, well, is it really that big a deal? Yes. Yes. Why? The Corinthians were so gullible as to believe the accusers because this man humbled himself? He gave his life and ministry freely? And then it makes him a fraud. But it's no different than Lord and Savior. He has always been Lord. 
There was no, when he was born in a manger, he's still Lord. Why did the Magi show up? They had it figured out. But 2,000 years later, the church doesn't have it figured out. He didn't charge. That makes him a fraud. I, I want you to see this because that is the simplicity of our adversaries twisting truth. Humility today stands out. It's stunning. I remember when Mickey Mantle hit his 500th home run. Okay? Now, that, that was a lot of home runs, especially when you're not doing steroids. He was just doing liquor. Okay? And I'm still trying, how do you get liquored up and hit a fastball? But anyway, <laughs> you know, get liquored up and get hit by a fastball. But uh, he wouldn't come out. The people were screaming. And cheering, wanting him to come out of the dugout and take a bow, and he wouldn't do it. He never did it. You know why? I heard an interview with him. He said, that pitcher was doing his best. I was doing my best. Why should I shame him? Because I got the better of it. God, I watched a football game yesterday, and they're cheering for nothing. And doing some kind of weird dance thing and all the rest of it. Well, you're supposed to tackle people, stupid. I mean, yeah, look, I, look what I just did. I remember Woody Hayes one time got on a kid because he spiked the ball in the end zone. And he got in that kid's face and grabbed him by the face mask and shook it. And he says, I don't want you to act like that's the first time you've been in an end zone. Act like it's a common place for you. And I thought, well, oh, there you go. <laughs> okay, and Woody was about that tall, but meaner than a bucket of snakes. But um, I, I share that because humility is so odd today. I mean, I, I was listening to things that they've got Hall of Fame for. And I'm like, do we have any vacant buildings? Because we've got a Hall of Fame for everything. And yet... Satan will twist humility as a sign of weakness, of a sign of being a fraud. He's not confident. All right, let's look at verse 9. And when I was present with you and was in need. Okay, do you understand what that means? Remember what taking wages is? Rations. Your daily needs. Okay, so when I was present with you, he's speaking now of his needs when he was in Corinth. When I was present with you, when I was there, I was in need. You know what that means? I didn't have my rations. I didn't have my daily sustenance. I did not have the necessities of my life. If you go back to Acts 18, you can look it up. He said you can see that he had been working there in the leather tent building. Leathers, all right? What was happening to his ministry? It was growing exponentially. All right, so all of a sudden it's taking more and more time. All right, something's got to give. All right, if you've got more and more people getting saved and more and more people growing and needing to be shepherded, what does it do with your work time? 
Okay? Or maybe he just ran out of work. If you've ever worked for yourself, you know that there are times of feast and famine. Maybe he had run out of work. It doesn't really matter what happened, but at some point in time in his ministry in Corinth, he was in need. He didn't have the daily essentials. And yet he says, I was not a burden to anyone. Look what it says. I was not a burden to anyone. Okay, the word burden there can mean dead weight. Okay, or a dead weight causing a a numbing by its being pressed against. Okay, Paul wasn't a dead weight, wasn't being pressing against them in such a way to cause them problems. They didn't even know he had the needs. He didn't say anything about it. And it says some of the brethren had come down. See that? I told you who the brethren was. Acts 18. Titus and Timothy had come back from Macedonia. Had come back specifically from Thessalonica. The reason? Paul had sent them up to find out what had happened to them when the persecution had brought out. And you know what is amazing? They had arrived at the exact time of Paul's need. That's why the Apostle Paul could tell the Philippians, whether with much or with little, I am content. Why? God knows my needs. Paul's needs were met perfectly on schedule by a sovereign God, and Paul didn't even need to ask the churches in Macedonia to do it. He wanted no reason for anyone to accuse him of greed. We have some needs in this church right now. None of the people that I know have come and asked for help. All right? None of them. But I understand the circumstances that they're in. And I understand their lives well enough to know that they are in need. None of them has been requested. It's just as a shepherd, I see the people and I know who has need. Okay? You don't have to be an economist. <laughs> you, you, you don't have to be any. You don't have to be the prophet of the great eight ball. Okay? I can just say... This is a burden for this person. I know this is a burden for this person. I believe that we should help this person. In this case, persons. Why? The same thing was happening. Paul, uh, Timothy and Titus, they know what Paul was going through. They understood the ministry in Corinth. And that he was in need. And they also said, you know what? Paul wouldn't take one red nickel from them people. So if he runs out of work, he runs out of food. And he won't ask him. And it says that his needs were fully supplied. God's sovereignty brought exactly what Paul was in need of in everything. Why? And Paul kept from being a burden. And what does he say? I will continue to do so. If and when I come back, Corinthians, guess what? I want nothing. I want nothing. Now listen, 
I'm sure that in the Corinthian church, there were a number who loved Paul amazingly. Okay? And I'm sure they wanted him to take something because of their love. Alright? I understand that. But he never stuck it out there and said, Hey, anybody want to give me a burrito for the breakfast? That never showed up. He never asked for anything. Because he wasn't going to give his accusers any opportunity or any satisfaction of challenging him for his greed. No way could he be accused of greed. That's why he's bringing this back up. Because what were they doing? So their next conclusion is, He doesn't love you. <laughs> That's just, you just sit there and go, well, all right. He doesn't charge you, therefore he doesn't love you. He didn't take their money because he didn't have that great a care for them. Yet the Philippians, by God's leading, stepped up. And with their generosity, they sent gifts more than once. Like I said, the letter of Philippians, that's 10 years after this. And he's been arrested and he's in Rome in prison. Under guard by the Praetorium Guard. Roman soldier chained to him 24 hours a day. Now there's evangelism. Senator, <laughs> gentlemen, I want to explain something to you. Okay, and now you've got this church 10 years later who is still sending gifts to the Apostle Paul. And I, they sent it a number of times. Uh, sometimes it's listed as the Macedonians. Sometimes it's listed as the Philippians. So the Macedonians, like I said, we know that the Berea was there. We know that Thessalonica was there. And we know that Philippi was there. There's times that it's specific that said that it was the Philippians who did it. Okay, why? He was receiving support from whom? Churches already established. Listen, the Apostle Paul, through this ministry, learned to trust God's sovereign supply. Why? God's sovereignty had brought him extraordinarily generous friends and a wonderfully loving churches into this man's life to help him. So he stayed the course. Why would I want to change the plan if God is blessing it the way it's working? You ever thought about that? I see people want to do it. You know, God blesses their socks off. They say, well, we should try this. Well, if that's working. Why go to plan B? So he stayed the course. Why? He gave no victory to his enemies. I mean, all he has to do is bring it up and say, you're accusing me of being greedy to this? Why did I never ask you? Because I never wanted to be a burden. I never wanted to be a dead weight on you. This selfless, humble man. This selfless, humble man is a... Dark contrast 
to the false. Okay? This man's ministry, compare it to what you see happening in our community right now. What a contrast. When you can sit and tell me we did a demographic study of your area and it can afford a few more churches. How does that line up with this man? Paul says, you can handle more, but I don't want it. That's amazing. And I cannot tell you how many men I have seen, quote unquote, start churches here in Castle Rock. Only that when the sending church quit giving them money, they left. And I always ask them, when the mother church quit sending you money, what are you going to do then? Oh, I'll fight for the souls in this town. In your poverty. Sure you will. But I, I, I can't even count how many that I have done that. What a contrast to the Apostle Paul. Listen, these two issues that I just set before you, I don't want to be a burden. Okay? And I don't want money from a church that I'm laying the foundation for. Do you note that those are the very issues that Satan twists? Technically, that should stand out as a wow. And yet it was those that he twists to use against the Apostle Paul. That's not new. Jesus fasted for 40 days, went into the wilderness, and was tempted by Satan himself. Right? How did he tempt him? He used Scripture. But in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And you're going to twist the incarnation of the Word? Really? So, what I want you to think of is, this ain't new. What you may perceive as your strength will be the thing that will be twisted. Because I would look at a man who does not want to be a burden from a church that he's planting, and a man who's walking in miraculous humility... As not really two tasks that you would want to tackle. And yet, that is what Satan uses against God's true servants. Our enemy is so clever. Our enemy is so subtle. And it's so easy to be clever and subtle when you have so many gullible people. Selflessness and humility used against the Apostle Paul. Think about that for a second. They used that against the Apostle Paul so they could question if he was teaching truth. Mind-numbing, isn't it? I don't understand that. But then you look at the people 
And you say, yeah. You know, he says, uh, Jesus compared us to being sheep. And if I was a sheep, I would protest. We are not that stupid. Okay? But if you think about it, we, we would never compare ourselves. I'm more of a wolf. A great hunter. No, you are aimless wandering around without a shepherd. You can get a bug in your ear and it'll drive you so crazy you will break your skull beating it against the ground to try to get the bug to come out. A sheep will literally kill itself because it's got a bug in its ear. That's amazing. Philip Keller. Want an interesting book? It'll humble you. Philip Keller wrote a book called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm. Philip Keller was a uh, New Zealand shepherd. And he will tell you things about sheep that will just thrill you to the bone. Lanolin. The wool. Um, sheep will produce lanolin on their skin. If you do not clean it off on a regular basis. You know what lanolin is? It's like grease. Okay, you become so matted down that you can't shed water anymore and they'll either die of hypothermia or they'll get so matted down by dirt and everything else that it literally kills them. And we as sheep all gone astray. And they were questioning the Apostle Paul was teaching truth Because his selflessness, his humility, and not wanting to be a burden. And the Apostle Paul answers by turning the tables. And he exposes the true character of the false. What an example. What an example. When you find someone who's truly humble, it stands out. I mean, you're just sort of like, wow. May we discern. My biggest prayer is that we won't be gullible. That we will not be tossed to and fro. We need to be warned of these subtle twists. I've heard pastors preach on their proud of their pride. Because they have confidence In the ministry. Now how'd you just twist that? I've never understood when a man will hang his name on his ministry. Perhaps it is yours. For I think not is it our Lord's. I've run into some humble men in my life. And you just stand in awe. But we need to be warned of the subtle twist. Why? Because the subtle twist, you know what they do? They attract the gullible. May we have a great understanding of truth so that none of us will be tossed to and fro. Why? There is a craftiness and a cleverness to our adversary. And um, I pray as the Lord used Scripture to refute His twist that each and every one of you have the ability to do the same. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul. And Father, the standard that he has set before us. Father, um, thank you that uh, in this text you are showing us the contrast between the true and the false. Father, uh, my heart breaks that Paul even had to defend himself to believers. And yet, Father, um, the nature of our battle for speculations and lofty things. Father, help us. Help each and every one of us here this day not be gullible. Help us, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of this amazing calling. To you, my King, my Lord, my Savior. Amen.